0: Good morning, Austin Oaks Church family and guests with us. Name is Brandon Ziski, one of the pastors here at Austin Oaks Church. I want to say uh, good morning or good afternoon to those who are watching online, if you're doing it live or later. Um, Our heartbeat here at Austin Oaks Church is to help people to meet, know, and follow Jesus. Because at the end of the day, We believe that when you encounter Jesus, it changes everything, and that's going to be the heartbeat of this morning's message. But before we jump into Scripture, I want to um, talk about a really exciting opportunity for us as a church. If you've been journeying with us here at Austin Oaks Church, you you would know by now that we have a deep partnership with African New Life and Pastor Charles. Um, The founder of African New Life preached last Sunday, and man, did he preach. Um, I love it when Pastor Charles comes. It's always like this convicting. However, in typical Pastor Charles fashion, he did not preach on what I asked him to preach on, but that's all right. Um, But nonetheless, um, one of the things that we've been doing as a church that we wanted to dig deeper in our partnership with them is to not just simply uh, sponsor children, as important as that is. We wanted to take that partnership deeper by being able to join them in their church planning strategy in Rwanda because what we found out is where they plant a church is when they're able to open up the doors into that community where they can start to sponsor other children to come alongside and to meet their needs physically, medically, but also spiritually. And so, um, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, we raised enough money to plant a church up in Karangazi and we we sponsored a bunch of kids from Karangazi, and now we raised enough money to plant church number two, um, in which we're going to go be part of the grand opening as a church. And so I want to invite you to come with us to Rwanda, and the trip is going to be June 20th through the 28th or 29th. We're still trying to figure out that that time. But if you're interested in coming, okay, and, and I know sometimes people are like, well, that's, you know, a lot of money and all that kind of stuff, like, yeah, God's got thousands of cattle and all sorts of hills. He'll take care of that. You know, you know. But like I want to encourage you, just come to the informational meeting, which is going to be January 30th at 1245. We're going to talk through the trip, what you can expect, what you can experience. We're going to get a feel for a little bit more of the logistics. But it's going to be an exciting time for us as a church because you'll be able to meet the children that you sponsor. And I'm telling you. You, you can't get your emotions and your heart ready for that until you actually see them. It's amazing to see how God is changing lives, but also we get to be part of celebrating a church opening in a village that desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you, January 30th, information meeting 1245. So we're in this series um, called Closing the Gap, and it's just this idea of Moving from A to B, how do we get from where we are now to where we want to be? And I'm a self-professed New Year's Eve resolution junkie. I love goal making. Not that I always hold them, but like I just like the idea of a new start and a new beginning because it helps me to assess where I've been, where I am, and where I want to go. And I know that some of you are kind of in the same boat, even though if you're not a New Year's Eve resolution type of person, I promise you, I know that you assess your life. I know that you look at where you are and where you want to be at, you can call it goals, you can call it aspirations, or whatever it is, that gap where you know you want to get to is a reflection of your desires. And that desire is revealing to you what you're longing for, what you think you want. And a lot of people at New Year's Eve, you know, they make that resolution. is usually in light of, man, I've I, failed at this, or I'm not this, or I gained too much weight, or I'm in too much debt, or whatever it is. And so just for fun, I do this every year. The top resolutions for 2022, some of them are so common, they're the same every year, which makes me wonder what's wrong with the human heart. Money tops the list always. Want to get out of debt, need better financial management, weight, is always there. I need to eat better. I need to get out of weight. You know, eating, sleeping better, be a better reader, get more relational, especially that one's really showed up because it's like we've been in isolation. There's a longing for people to be in community. But the one that I found the most fascinating out of 2022, or the resolution coming into 2022, was this, hide myself more on Zoom. I was like, that's kind of funny, you know. Apparently they don't want to see themselves, you know, on Zoom calls anymore. The reality is, all of these things, these, these resolutions, these goals, these aspirations, realizing from where I'm at now to where I want to be, it's a reflection of something that's deep in our heart, okay? And what if these resolutions or these goals, aspirations, these desires that we have, what if they're just band-aids to the real desire that is deeper in our hearts? Right? I want you to think about that for a moment. Every resolution you made is a reflection of that. So, what if we changed that? What if we changed our normal approach of going, What do I want? What do I want to see different? What am I seeking this year? What if we hit the pause button on that and started to ask God, What is He seeking? What is He seeking in your life? What does God want for you? What if we approached it that way? Because here's the thing it's 100% true. In fact, I'm going to say it's 110% true, which means it's super true. What, what you desire, your resolution for me is to be grammatically correct. What you desire, some of you guys are like, amen. Okay, any. Anyway, what you desire is actually found and wrapped up in what God is seeking and wanting for you. I need you to believe that. What you really desire and what you really want. And what you really need to get from A to B is to be in alignment, to sink your heart up and your mind up with what God is seeking, with what God wants for you. And here's the reality. If you profess faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit that he has caused to live inside of you is seeking and desiring to move you from A to B. He's not content with just where you are. He's passionate about moving you, conforming you, renewing you into the image of Jesus. And in the church world, we call that spiritual formation. So what I want us to understand this morning, that is, if we were to ask the question, what is God seeking? What does God want for you? It's a simple answer. He wants you to become more like Jesus, because that is the greatest thing for you. It is where your heart is really longing for. It's where you will truly find joy and peace and freedom and wholeness. It's spiritual formation. We need to cultivate our hearts and renew our minds and trust in the Holy Spirit again and again in His leading and His convicting of our misplaced hopes and loves. And I want to tell you this. This process of spiritual formation No matter where you are at in your spiritual journey, every time the Holy Spirit wants us to move from A to B, I am so convinced it starts with a simple question. What do you want? We ask that of ourselves, but I am so convinced that God asks that question of you. What do you want? And in fact, this is taken right out of the pages of Scripture. In John chapter 5, there's this story of this paralytic man who's laying on this mat. For 30 years, he's an invalid. And he's, his friends bring him to this pool of Bethesda. And there's like this legend that was told for years that if you were to get into the pool when the water starts to bubble up and the angels, then they would heal you. And so it just like became this like collective spot for a lot of people with affirmities and brokenness and perilous. And Jesus shows up in this moment to to this guy who's been paralyzed for 30 years, sitting there waiting and hoping to get healed. And Jesus comes and has the audacity to ask this man, what do you want? I know Jesus is not naive. Like, he's the son of God. He knows all things. Is he just being a jerk? I know what you want. I just want you to say it. Like, what is he doing in that moment? You see, that question, what do you want? When God asks that question of you, we usually answer right up here on the surface. I want this. I think I need this change. If I had better finances, if I got out of debt, if I got in this relationship, if I did this, if I had this, whatever it is. And he's like, okay, let's keep peeling those layers back of the onion. And let's get to the heart. What do you want? It's an intentional thing that he does because he wants us to understand the deeper longings and desires of our hearts. So Jesus is asking you this morning, on January 9th, 2022, what do you want? What do you want? What are you seeking after? Now, in order for us to understand how the Holy Spirit uses that question to align us and to sync us up with what God is after in our hearts, we need to understand what spiritual formation is and what it's not. Because I think we misunderstand it because a lot of times we think of spiritual formation as a bunch of spiritual disciplines that I have to do in order to be a good Christian. In fact, if we don't understand why or what God is trying to do in this process, this is what I say a lot of times when I think about just going through the spiritual disciplines and it starts to go through the motions. I tend to go, thanks, but no thanks, God. Now, I wouldn't say that literally. I think that and I feel that sometimes. And I'm not convinced that becoming more like Jesus is actually what I really need. I barter with him. I argue with him. Now, nah, what I really need is this. God, if I could have this and this would change. I get all that spiritual stuff. I get it. I know you want me to pray more and read my Bible more and and attend church better and be in a small group better. That's all fine and dandy. There's nothing wrong with it. I know it's good. But how does that really help me? Like how does becoming like Jesus really help me get from A to B? So let's answer the question, what is spiritual formation? In its most reduced down terms. Spiritual formation is a process of being formed into the image of Jesus. That's what it is at the end of the day. It's living into what is true of us positionally. When we profess faith in Jesus, the old life is gone, the new has come. We are a new creation. And spiritual formation is this process of where we experience and live into that reality more and more and more. Becoming more like Jesus. In that line of thinking... When we pray, when we read scripture, when we confess our sins and our desires to each other, when we come to worship, and when we do life together in a community, and when we pray and all these types of things, it's all about making us more into the image of Jesus. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. It's like we are being renewed or we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And like you can read that and you'd be like, Can we just use, like, regular language, Paul? Like, what does it mean to move from one degree of glory to another degree of glory? Like, it's essentially meaning you're becoming more like Jesus. Moment by moment, you're starting to experience and live out what is true of you positionally into your everyday life. Becoming more like Jesus. Friends, you've got to believe me. You've got to hear this from God's heart. Becoming like Jesus fulfills the deepest longings of humanity. It satisfies the hungers in your heart. It quenches that thirst that you have. And when you realize or when you start to convince yourself that Jesus isn't everything, that becoming like Jesus isn't all that, you're going to go seeking after other desires You're going to pursue other idols, and they're just going to be this slew of like idol factories that are going to lead you through these empty promises and shallow living. Paul writes it this way when we understand spiritual formation and we read these things, you go, Oh, this is what he's trying to get to. He's not trying to make me feel like heavy burdens here. Colossians 3 9 through 10. Put off the old. Put off the old ways. Anything that's not like Jesus, you put it off. It's done. It's dead. It's over. Put on the new. But look at this. You put off the old and you put on the new, which is being renewed, transformed from one degree of glory to another, this process of spiritual formation after the image of its creator, like Jesus. This is what God wants for you. And this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. It's this process of experiencing more and more of what is true of us. You ever feel this? You realize I'm supposed to be this new creation, but why is there so much brokenness in my life? Why do I still sin? Why do I still struggle? God I thought that when I became a Christian and I prayed that everything would be all good, why isn 't it changing it 's a process, and we don 't like processes. We want a silver bullet. Can you just tell me the podcast to listen to? Can you just tell me the latest book, Ten Steps to P- Perfection? <laughs> Like, can you just, like, we look for that solution. Well, God, I prayed the prayer. God, I I said the thing. God, I put the money in. God, I read the Bible. God, look at all the stuff I'm doing. But it's not that. Spiritual formation is his doing. The best analogy I can give is that we're like a farmer. All we can do is cultivate the soil, plant the seeds, water it, nurture it. But he can't control any of the growth. Nor the timing. That's how spiritual formation works. Works. And when we think about this process of moving and aligning our hearts to what God wants for us, it literally becomes a process of faith, of trust, and of waiting on the Lord. So don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't go, ah, it didn't work, and let me go find something else. No, because this is what God is always doing. This is what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in your life. And know this, he can only lead to life. He can only do good. To do any other would mean he's not God. To miss this, I'm telling you, when people miss church, when they get frustrated with church or they miss the point of church, they miss the point of community and doing all the things that we're called to do, they miss the idea of why we're being formed, uh, formed into the image of Christ, you grow frustrated with ch- Christianity. You don't see church as an important thing. You don't see spiritual disciplines as vital. To misunderstand and misplace why we do what we do is to simply miss and embrace what the Holy Spirit is trying to say. And if we don't embrace what he's trying to do inside of us, friends, listen, we're essentially saying no to God. No. I don't want what you want. No, I don't believe that you think this is best for me. I want what I want. I want this so I can get to where I need to be. So what I want us to do this morning is simply remember. We need to remember a beautiful truth as we come back into this journey of allowing God to transform us into the image of Jesus. And what I want us to remember is simply this. We are not the authors or the perfecters of our faith. We don't write the story. We don't come up with the script. We didn't start this journey. He's the author and he's the completer. He's the finisher. He's the perfecter. This is what the author in Hebrew says of Jesus. He started it all. You didn't start it. We people didn't come up with the church. It's all him. While we were enemies, while we were in darkness, while we were dead in our sin, God moved. God came. He came to save and restore and redeem. That's his heart. He's the author. He starts it and he completes it. That should bring us a huge level of peace. He will complete this. Now, I know that this isn't easy to accept or even believe because quite frankly, We want to have some sort of control. We want to have some sort of like say in this. We want to be able to manipulate the outcomes. We don't want to release complete control to God. We don't want to wait for him to show up and to give us the blessings. We want to work it. We want to control it. But we're not the author. We're not the completer. We're not the perfecter of our faith. He is. Paul writes this to a church in Philippi. A church that he dearly loved. And it was a community that loved Jesus, that was hard, uh, following hard after him. But yet in this time when Paul wrote this letter, this was a church that started to act and embrace again the ways of the world. That there was areas in their lives as a community that were not like Jesus. So Paul in his introduction, as he's kind of like, you know, just saying this blessing, almost in some ways (laughs) softening them up for an exhortation that's to come. He says this in Philippians 1 6, and I am sure of this, which is another way of saying, I am 100% confident in what I'm about to tell you. That he who began a good work, he who did that, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Who began that work? Did you? Who began it? Jesus did. And if he did, who's responsible for it? He is. Who wants it more than you do? He does. He's a good father. He knows what's best for you. He who began it, he will do this. Now he's talking, Paul specifically, is talking about an actual like, good work that they are doing. But it's a response or it's a reflection of the good work that was done initially for moving this people, for moving individuals in the community from death to life, from moving from the old ways to the new ways where there are a new creation, which becomes the overflow of good works. So when Paul is saying he who began a good work is not just talking about the outward overflow of good deeds, It's strongly implying the good work that he did inside of us. God is not done with you. Some of you right now think you failed miserably this past year. Some of you are so convinced that the way you lived your life, in whatever context it is, you're like, there's no way... could ever get to here so I'm just going to have to ride this one out or somehow you're also convinced that now I have to pick up the slack and I got to convince God that I'm going to do it all he began it when did he begin it when you were good when your marriage was great when like when did he begin that work oh when you were dead in your sin when you're an enemy of God, when you are lost, he who began it, he's not surprised. He will complete it. He will finish it. He's responsible for it. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Don't fight it. Don't fight it. Paul's got confidence, but who's his confidence in? Is his confidence in the church in Philippi? Oh, they're a great church. They always obey what I say. I know my confidence is in you guys. You will obey and you will apply every point that I preach. You see what I did there? His confidence isn't in that. His confidence is not in the people, in their obedience. His confidence is not even in himself. His confidence is in Jesus, the author, the perfecter. So Brandon, are you telling me that um, we have nothing to do in the process of spiritual formation? Yeah. And no. It's a mysterious tension. Because Paul now goes on in chapter 2, verse 12 through 13, and he starts to talk about what the role looks like for us and how we partner with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, or to act for his good pleasure. Now, Paul wrote this on the heels of a significant gut check to the church. This church in Philippi is going through some conflict. They're acting not like Jesus. So chapter 2, verse 1, he's like, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if you've experienced any blessing in Jesus, like anything, complete my joy. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being full of court. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own, interests but the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to explain what Jesus did. In other words, what Paul is saying there is like, hey, the way you're acting is not like Jesus. So act like Jesus. Therefore, work this out. Do it. Working out your salvation doesn't mean you earn your salvation or that you have to keep doing this to somehow like hang on to your salvation. No, this, this is you responding to what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of you. I love the way that Paul writes this. We work this out, one, in community, not just alone, but we do it in community. It's a process where we align our lives individually and corporately with what is true of us already, positionally. We are a new creation. We have the mind of Christ. All those things, the old is gone, the new is come. Let's move into that. But what I love and what gives me so much hope and so much encouragement is verse 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, which is that tension of whose responsibility is it? Is it his? Is it me? It's just like this, this tension. But then he goes, it's God who's working in you, though. He's the one that's working in you. To will, or in other words, you could say to desire, to want to, and he gives you the ability to actually do it. So what Paul is essentially saying is like, if you feel the need to move towards Jesus, like, let, let's just do a little quick survey because I am so convinced you all know exactly what this means. So let's just do a little survey. How many of you, raise your hands, don't, don't be coy or shy or whatever, how many of you ever felt the need to pray? How many of you have ever felt the need to read scripture or to come to church? Y'all should raise your hand right there because you're here, right? Like anything that moves you towards Jesus, did you want that? Was that your will or is that the Holy Spirit? Have you ever thought about it that way? Jesus, Paul was really clear. Scripture is really clear. Nobody seeks God. Nobody. On our own, in our flesh, why would we care? So like I, I've just come to this place of childlike faith. like when I feel like or I want to pray, or I feel this longing to want to be in God's word, or I should be in God's word, you know, outside of my own guilt complex that I have, it's like I just went, that's the Holy Spirit stirring in me. He's the one that's at work. He cares way more about my life. He cares way more about my heart. He cares way more about my peace and my wholeness. He cares way more about the world. He cares way more about conforming me to the image of Christ, that he's constantly at work drawing me and stirring inside of me, giving me the will, the desire to want to when you feel those promptings and those stirrings and those want tos, that's where you work it out. Do it. Do what he's stirring, do what he's prompting. And the beautiful part is, Paul's like, and he will give you the ability to act, to complete it. He will do it. So who's responsible? We're really all him but we also have this role to play to work it out. And here's what I also know to be true. Your spirit knows this is right. And your spirit knows that Jesus is everything. Your spirit knows that everything you need and want in his life is found right there. So why do we fight against the Holy Spirit's stirring and promptings in our lives? Why do we do that? Simple. Because spiritual formation always starts with a loving confrontation. Always. Always. And who of you in this room absolutely loves being told something's wrong with you? Not many people I know love confrontation. Like they don't, let me refer to that, they don't like to be confronted. There's a lot of you maybe out there that like to confront other people, which I would say, stop, stop. The Holy Spirit's way better than you are. I have what I call principle syndrome. Brandon, I need to talk to you. Oh, goodness, what did I do? Like, I immediately panic. And like, I know, like, I always feared that I'm going to be called out on something. Or when my sweet wife goes, hey, babe, we need to sit and chat. I'm like, nah, we're good. Because I already know. I'm going to be confronted. I'm going to have to come face to face with some area that's lacking in my life. Like, some area where I fell short. Nobody likes confrontation. We're rebellious at heart. Nobody likes to be told that what they think or what they believe or how they're living, what they want and desire is wrong. But that's where spiritual formation always starts. Think about salvation. You're dead in your sin. Well, that's fun to hear. You're lost. There's nothing you can do. Scripture says Jesus is a stumbling block. He's an offense. But this is where conf- or spiritual formation happens. It's always in these areas of our lives that are not like Jesus. That spiritual confrontation. The Holy Spirit's going to be like, there's an area in your life that's not like Jesus. And it's best for you to be like Jesus. And so I'm going to expose that in, in grace and in truth and in gentleness and in boldness. All of those things together. And I'm going to give you the desire I'm going to give you the desire to move into it if you're willing, and I'll give you the power to work it out if you're willing. Why do you think people shrink back from church activities? Why do you think people are afraid to being into a, into a small group, an intimate group of believers who are journeying in Jesus together? Is it, could it be just because we don't want to be reminded of our shortcomings or we don't want to be found out? We don't want to be like, man, I'm actually not as good as they think I am or whatever it is. Like, why do you think people shrink back from their own personal devotions to the Lord, why we don't engage in Scripture or why we don't read or why we don't go to church? It's because we don't want to be reminded of where we fall short. We're rebellious. We would rather just go, I got to do what I got to do. I'm going to want what I want to want. Spiritual formation always starts in all of the areas that are unlike the image of Jesus. And he does it little by little. Praise God. That would be so overwhelming. That would be so overwhelming. That means when we feel confronted by God, And when his light begins to reveal and shine into those dark areas of our lives, it's because he loves you, not because he's shaming you or pointing his finger at you or disappointed at you to remind you how big of a failure you are and how pathetic you are. No, he's doing it because he loves you. What do you want? Let me shine some light in that area. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever will believe in him, he gives you right to eternal life. He didn't come to condemn the world. And Jesus goes on saying, it's like, but the people love the darkness instead of the light for fear that their deeds and their hearts would be exposed. Is that not true? It's so true. We gotta remember This confrontation isn't comfortable, it isn't easy, but it's love. And that's why we can start to make sense now of statements that Jesus made. For instance, in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, these things begin to make sense. If any of you would follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Let's talk about the cross for a moment Because we confuse what the cross is in this conversation, in this context. So I want to tell you what the cross is not and what the cross is. The cross. I'll just go for it. Your cross to bear isn't bad traffic on Mopac, your cross that you bear isn't politics. Isn't economics. Your cross to bear isn't a bad neighbor, a bad boss, a bad job. Your cross is not the difficulties in your life. Your cross is not the things that are outside of your control. These are burdens. They are problems and weights. And sure, they are hard. They're problematic. There's tensions that we need to manage. And yes, they may be situations that need to be changed 100%. But it's not your cross. Your cross is an instrument of death where we daily put to death the things that are not like Jesus. When he gave the invitation to follow him, that's us saying, yes, we want to be like Jesus. He's like, okay, daily carry your cross. Daily put off the old. Daily die to the old self and follow me. The cross is a device of death. The old has died with him. We're buried with him. And now we have been raised with him to newness of life. But this is something that we partner with the Holy Spirit. We have to work this out and as long as you journey with Jesus and you pursue him he will confront you in these areas of darkness not every time that would be overwhelming but at the right time and at the right moment he will expose it and if we are open to it he will change it that's the cross the cross is nothing but an invitation by Jesus to receive his love in life It's not something that's to rob you of joy and to make your life miserable. It's the place where we begin to understand what joy and peace and freedom is, to have liberty from all of these things that hold us in bondage and the things that cause anxiety and worry. That's why I love to remind myself that the Holy Spirit can only lead to life. So when his light starts to reveal the dark areas in my life, and my tendency is to kick, scream, be rebellious, and push away, I have to remind myself he's doing it because he's good. He's doing it because he's loving. And he's doing it because he knows what's best for me, and he wants me to be more like Jesus. Will I work it out? Or will I grieve the Spirit? All right. What do I got to do then? Is there a book? Do I have to pay more? Do I have to give more? Do I... What's the silver bullet? Like, I just, I want it done now. I want this changed now. Okay, I'll give you a week. Maybe a month. Can we? Becoming like Jesus. Corny On purpose. Coming like Jesus is not found at the vending machine, but so often that's how we treat spiritual formation. Have you ever been there where, like, one time in a hotel or whatever it was, you were so hungry that you were willing to waste so much money on something that you knew was stale and expired, and you put it in? You're like, "Oh man, those sun chips look great." B four. Are you get stuck? How many of you like hit the machine? You all lie. I, I, I would shake them. And then I would, you know, we won't say what I did. But like we treat sometimes spiritual formation this way. But that's the way we've been raised and brought up in our culture. Our culture says do it yourself. Get after it. If you do X, Y, and Z, then there should be a return on that investment. And then you should get these results. We live in this culture that pushes instant gratification. We are no longer a long-suffering, persevering people. We are a weak, impatient, get it now, get it done now type of people. That will frustrate you spiritually because God does not work that way. All of this is rooted in our self-reliance. That's why we got to allow him to have the space and the time and the long suffering in our hearts we can't approach Jesus this way there is no silver bullet I am so sorry there is no church on this planet that could ever develop the perfect program the perfect discipleship program the perfect whatever for you to get the spiritual results you want tomorrow if that's what you're looking for be ready to be disappointed and go church shopping to find it there again Stepping on toes. Back in December, I found myself in a very spiritually frustrating and exhausted spot in my life. I knew I wasn't where I wanted to be. And I saw it affecting how I was pastoring and leading. I saw how it was affecting how I would love my wife and my kids. And even though all of those people didn't necessarily see it, but I felt it inside of me. I knew I could be better. I knew I wanted to be better. And I knew I wanted to love Jesus more. But in that past month, I was so distracted. I was so busy. I felt like my life was in constant motion, going from A to B to C to D to E to A to Z to X to what. And I was just like, can we just... Stop. And then I finally had these moments, and I would sit down and be like, okay, I should read, I should pray. And then I did, and it felt like a grind. It felt dry, it felt barren. I was, but then I found myself actually going, wait a second. God, I'm doing these things. Why don't you change this stuff? Because I'm doing these things. I found myself going to my proverbial Jesus vending machine in that moment. I was so frustrated spiritually, and I actually began to become disappointed with God, because I'm like, things aren't working out the way I thought they were. Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you fulfilling your end of the agreement, Jesus? Of course, I wouldn't say that. Felt it, thought it. Mid-December, I'm praying over the sermon. I'm praying for you all as a church, and I felt like God just whispered in my heart, Brandon, you're like, Jacob. Jacob is one of the major uh, characters we have in the Old Testament. So I went to Genesis and I started to read and pray through his story. And I went, man, that light is really bright on that dark spot, God. Can you turn that down for a moment? He was exposing areas in my life that were not like Jesus, helping me see that I was acting like Jacob in the realm of striving and manipulating circumstances to try to get outcomes, to earn the promises, to convince God that I'm good, to believe that it's all on me, and strive and strive and strive and finagle and work and work instead of resting and waiting and trusting the Lord to do what he's going to do. And then out of that moment, as God was confronting my heart, I was feeling again the grace of God and his invitation to come back, almost to like do this hard reset. And I realized that in that moment, my spiritual frustration actually wasn't me. He who began. It is God that causes us to desire. And I realized at that moment it was the Holy Spirit causing me to feel spiritually frustrated, to want. And so I moved in obedience and I realized that God was saying, "Brandon, you need a hard reset." I hate technology. I'm telling you, there's nothing more than I hate than calling the IT department. Oh, I feel like such a moron. And I'd be like, "Hey, my computer's not working. It's slow. It's this." You're like, "When's the last time you restarted it?" <laughs> Never. <laughs> Restart it. Well, I ain't gonna do nothing. Restart it. Did it work? Yeah. Oh, I hate that moment. But that's what I had to do. I had to hit the restart button because I had so many windows open, so many things, so many distractions, so many stuff. And I started to believe again and convince that I have to do it. I have to control it. I have to get there. And I failed to remember he began the good work. He's the author. He's the perfecter. I got to partner with, I got to work out what he's stirring up in my heart and he will give me the power to do that. Okay, God, I will listen to the confrontation and I will put the old to death again. What does your heart need to be reminded of this morning? Do you need a hard reset this morning? If you hear anything, I want you to hear this. And I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on up at this moment. Spiritual formation is ultimately moving from A to B closing the gap in your life, it's going to be always this process of being reminded that Jesus is everything. He's everything. And when you do the hard reset, it's going to be this process of what we see in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, like if you've been saved, the dead, the old is gone, the new is come. If you've been raised with Christ, seek It's the first thing you do to have the heart reset. You seek the things that are above. You become preoccupied with Jesus. Analyze the treasures and the loves in your hearts. like, what's there? What are you preoccupied with? Seek the things that are above. For Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Second, set your minds on the things that are above. Think about Jesus. Philippians 4, whatever is noble, whatever is admirable, these things, think about these things. Get rid of your anxieties, cast them at the Lord, because he will give you the peace. I love how Isaiah 26, 26, 3 says this about setting our mind on things above. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is set on him. Seek the things that are above. Become preoccupied with the kingdom, with Jesus. Become preoccupied with those promptings and those stirrings and those desires in your heart. Set your mind on the things above. Think about him. Meditate on him. Talk about him. And then realize that you are alive in him. It's like we preached a long time ago out of the Philippians series. For me to live is what? Fill in that blank. What are you living for? For me to live is Christ. So I ask you, what do you want? Take some time and answer that question. Allow the Holy Spirit to peel back those layers in your heart. What do you want? Allow him to confront the areas in your life that are not like Jesus. Allow yourself to hear and to feel those stirrings and those promptings inside of you. Then work it out. Because He will give you the ability to do so. We're going to sing a song that is new to our church, but a lot of you already know it. It's a great song. I want to encourage you in this moment to go through this process. Maybe this is the time when you just do a hard reset getting your heart and your mind right, allowing him to confront those dark areas in your life and responding to that prompting in there. But as we worship, I want you to find yourself in this place of thankfulness because he who began a good work, he did it and he will complete it. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling for God who works in you. He loves you so much that he won't leave you where you are. So use this time to allow the Lord to speak into your heart.